Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live, yes, all the way live from Black Pearl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. Well, special session began this week, and just like clockwork, they decided that, you know, women shouldn't have control of, of their body. They should not have autonomy of their body. So we showed up at the state house. We rallied. We made a bunch of noise. I don't know if you've ever been into a rally at the state house. The acoustics in there are fantastic. And they can hear every word we're saying inside the gallery when we're saying my body, my choice. They heard it. They heard every little bit of it. But more importantly, I want you guys to pay attention if you can. Uh, YouTube, they've been putting the sessions on YouTube. If you can't listen to the sessions during the day, uh, fortunately, I, I've been blessed to have a job where I can sit and listen to the sessions all day. And I got to tell you, I'm not exactly sure who Republicans actually care about. So we know that they're going to pass SB1. They're doing everything they can. And as the author of the bill stated, this is a vehicle bill. So it doesn't have all the restrictions they want to apply to, to abortion rights. So you'll be able to add those via amendments. And in the Senate on Tuesday, they introduced a, a bevy of, of amendments from the right. Uh, they don't know, they just pick out arbitrary weeks as to when a woman can declare uh, that she had been raped before she can get an abortion. I think it's interesting that anyone who acknowledges that they've been raped have to then fill out an affidavit if they're under 16 years old. Well, first of all, does a 16-year-old know where, why, how to get an affidavit? Mm, I don't know especially if it's somebody in their, their family member that raped them. Then uh, they had a whole bunch of uh, arbitrary weeks of when a, a kid can get an abortion. So they went from six weeks to eight weeks. They don't know when. First they said it was when it was the, the infant or the, the fetus was viable. But we already know at six weeks the fetus is not viable. So they're just talking out of both sides of their neck. Then after they got through with all of their Republican amendments, they didn't hear any of the Democratic amendments that were being offered up. Huh. Interesting. I mean, I think there was a fantastic bill, that uh, amendment that uh, uh, Senator Eddie Melton might have been able to introduce. He was actually going to introduce a religious exception bill. You, you know how those go, right? Religious exceptions? Oh, my God, we got to have religious exceptions. No, no, no. Th in this special, special session, the Indiana GOP did not want to hear any amendments for religious uh, exceptions because we already knew the Jewish community said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. If you pass this abortion ban, then you are going against our religious freedom. See, they didn't hear the amendment because then they would have to actually say they don't care about religious freedom. They just want to write policies that discriminate against people who are not like them. Let's be real clear. Which, or, or they want to write policies to, for political reasons so that people don't have to get vaccines, which we already know millions of people died from that COVID thing. But, you know, that's, eh, we're not going to talk about that. But we'll give you religious exemption for everything except for abortion. Then the state Senate, uh, the Democratic side, decided to offer up their minority report, and the Republicans shut them down in 10 minutes, shut them down, and did not even want to hear the minority report. You know what they're saying, people? We really don't care if you voted for these Democrats and they got elected. We're not going to hear anything you have to say as constituents. We do not care. 
That's what Republicans are telling you. They do not care, they will not care, and they ain't gonna care, so stop pretending like they will. Now, we did have one, a couple senators that said, I'm not even gonna caucus with my people no more because they own some BS. Well, he didn't actually articulate why he wasn't because, you know, it would, he doesn't want to look bad. But the bottom line is we have people pushing through stuff in the state Senate that is just horrible. And, you know, they call it a vehicle bill because they're going to add more amendments. They're going to make this a total ban, a total ban without any religious exemptions. Can y'all believe it? In Indiana, no religious exemptions. Can you believe it? The irony so let's talk about what we saw in the House today. They were talking about House Bill 1001, which is supposed to be the $250 bill to, you know, give taxpayers some money. And I tell you what, I applaud the House Democrats. They offered up several amendments addressing how we will uh, take care of child care, what parents have to pay for when they have to give birth. And they said, we know SB1 is coming out of the Senate, so let's do what we can as a fiscal body to make sure that we offer financial support to people who are going to be forced to give birth. They voted most of them down. There was one that even says, can we just like not have any taxes on, you know, infant, infant needs? No. Can we have paid medical leave so we can reduce infant and maternal mortality? No. They don't want to do anything. Now, mind, this is in the House. The House doesn't want to do anything to help these women and families after they give birth. This is not something I'm making up out of my head. All you got to do is go watch the hearing for yourself, hear the amendments, read the amendments, and you see that all the amendments that were offered up were means to help people after they are forced to give birth. I dropped my phone, sorry. That's what's happening in the state house. They're going to make you give birth, ladies, and you will not have any choice in the matter. And if you're 16 years old or under, you're going to have to figure out what an affidavit is and where to get one and spend money to get it. Oh, and by the way, they keep touting about the inflation and whether or not we're in recession and blah, 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 blah. Here you are now adding greater financial burdens on people in the middle of high inflation. They don't care. They don't care about us. They don't care about what we want. They don't care about what we need. And this is why, this is why I, I implore each and every one of you who listens to the show, who gets out there and knocks doors for candidates, makes phone calls for candidates to get, to bring more people in, show them how this thing works and how to turn out voters. And so that we can elect people to that state house that are not going to write bills that brings harm to pregnant people and the families surrounding. They even voted against extending bereavement for people who lose a child via stillbirth, miscarriage. They don't even want to do that. Take your behinds back to work. They did not want the amendment in the house that said, hey, let's let these um, companies offer up some reasonable working condition for pregnant women. Voted it down. They are full of it. They are not, they don't care. And I, I'm gonna say it again, cause it's the only way I can, I can explain it. They do not care about you and your needs and your family. So now it is time for you to find people who, who support your value system and vote them in to office November 8th. Y'all got it. If you don't get a chance to watch it live, go on YouTube, 
Watch the Indiana General Assembly so you can hear. And 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 they like and they're like, dude, real talk. They are indignant about this. They are like, stop annoying me with these bills that actually help families. Stop it. I just want these people to give birth so we can warehouse kids in schools because we don't want to educate them. We don't want to give them enough money so they can educate the kids. We don't want to pay the teachers. We're at the bottom of every statistical category in the state of Indiana, and we don't want to do anything to improve it. We just want to bring more people in. We want to bring more births, forced births, and tell women you do not have autonomy over your body. All right, that is my rant. I'm going to catch my breath. We have a little bit more of this special session. So, hey, I talk about November 8th, and this is why it's important. We want to send more people to the state Senate so that SB1 wouldn't pass out. That's why David is here. But in order for us to ensure that we flip seats, we have to protect the ballot box. That's why I'm so glad Chris Coyle is here. My first guest tonight, running in Senate District 23, my man, David Sanders. David, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. I really appreciate the invitation. Oh, I love having you here. And of course, running for clerk, ugh, I knew I was going to do it. Clark County Clerk, my man, Chris Coyle. Y'all say that five times real fast. Chris Coyle, welcome to the show. Chris Coyle for Clark County Clerk. It's alliterative, but... <laughs> Appreciate you having me on tonight. It's great to join Indiana's own. Oh, it's a privilege. Thank you. Guys, I hit up a whole lot um, about this special session. Uh, David, I'm going to start with you because this is the chamber that you're trying to get into. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to, to watch any of, any of this stuff or heard anything was going on, but what are your thoughts? Absolutely. Well, I mostly hear about it in the evenings because I'm spending all day, every day, doing door-to-door uh, in my district. My district is uh, quite large, it includes six different counties, and I am knocking on thousands of doors, uh, just trying to get people to know me as, a, as an individual. So that's what I do during the day. In the evening, I follow up. I did, um, I did, I think, learn yesterday that one of the only amendments that made it in the House was, in fact, from the West Lafayette uh, representative, Chris Campbell who's a good friend of mine. Uh, she was actually the, the campaign manager for my first campaign for uh, West Lafayette City Councilor. So I think her one of her amendments made, but it's, you know, it's been really uh, sad to watch uh, what's going on. Uh, from my own perspective, I have already an established record as someone who tries to protect uh, people from, uh, protect people's privacy from government intervention. So this is something that's uh, you know, very important for me, and I've been able to work on the city council uh, to try to make that a reality. The other thing that's important to recognize is that we're really in a one-party state right now, and that is what we have to work on. You, you, the arrogance that that accrues to an organization where they they have all the levers of power. That's what we need to oppose. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm running for uh, state Senate, in order to give people more of a choice, more of a voice, uh, and not just have uh, people who don't need to listen uh, to the voice of the people. Uh, that's a good part of why I'm running for state Senate. I love it. Chris, do you have any comments about anything that I talked about this, this afternoon? Yes, I do. Let me, let me just add that uh, 
as someone who teaches political science at uh, three universities here in the Kentucky, Indiana area, that the Dobbs decision and what is now going on in our legislature is certainly an assault on women, but it is an assault on the right to privacy of every woman, every man, every child in the state of Indiana and in the United States. It is a the most significant power grab and uh, government intrusion into our private lives in decades. It, and I believe the Dobbs decision in time will be viewed as one of the top five worst decisions that the Supreme Court has ever handed down simply because it attempts to roll back fundamental rights. And I'm sure, you know, at, at, I've been warning people for a while that uh, Indiana Republicans, if Roe versus Wade was overturned, would not be able to control themselves. Uh, they are going to attempt to out-extreme each other. And I think we're seeing that's what hap is happening now, uh, unfortunately, in Indianapolis. Yeah, and it's really sad. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. We already see that Indiana is having a hard time attracting talent to our state and filling roles and businesses are building, expanding outside of Indiana. And these guys have not, for some reason, have not put two and two together. And maybe it's because they started defunding public education and they don't know how to add. But I don't know. I just believe that, you know, we're doing things the wrong way and it shows in, in every area. All right, let's get into y'all's campaigns because I want to make sure that folks get to know who y'all are. So, David, tell the people who you are and where you come from. Absolutely. So, uh, I'm currently an associate professor of biological sciences at uh, Purdue University. Uh, I work on something called structural biology and I'm interested in how viruses get into cells. So. Uh, my expertise in the Ebola virus uh, led to my participation in the Defense Threat Reduction Agency Biological Weapons Proliferation Prevention Program. You needed your seatbelt uh, to be on to, to get through all that. And I had the opportunity to travel to a formerly secret bioweapons lab called Vector. It's a bit like something out of a James Bond movie um, in the middle of Siberia, which is one of the two places that still has smallpox. Uh, they were trying to turn smallpox and Ebola which I work on in Marburg, which has recently been in the news, into biological weapons. I mean, trying to prevent the spread of biological weapons and also the expertise that's necessary to turn these agents into biological weapons. Uh, I'm very interested in the impact of science on social policy. That's something that uh, I've been uh, focused on for a long time, uh, both in my professional work as well as, uh, as a politician. I would argue that most of the issues that we face as a society have a scientific or technological basis. They don't necessarily have a scientific or technological solution, but I think it's important to understand firsthand how they, um, how they work. And I'll just give you one example. The future of agriculture, agriculture is very important uh, in the state of Indiana. The future of agriculture is going to be determined by a technology, a genetic technology called CRISPR. Okay, and um, it is absolutely in the next 10 years going to revolutionize the way agriculture is formed. Well, my laboratory has actually done work using uh, the CRISPR technology. And I'd be willing to bet that I will be the only state legislator who understands CRISPR firsthand and understands both the advantages it has, it has and the challenges uh, that it poses. And this is, you know, when we're talking about climate, when we're talking about 
healthcare provision. Uh, it's important to have a, uh, a scientific approach uh, to those sorts of issues. I'm currently West Lafayette City Councilor. I've been um, elected twice uh, to that office, and I focused on issues such as um, prevention of government uh, in, um, invasion of privacy. Uh, for example, I had a um, I had a, an ordinance to ban uh, facial recognition technology from using by, but from being used by government organizations in uh, West Lafayette. I've also focused on trying to actually prevent uh, wasteful spending. That's an important part uh, of what I do. I also am involved in uncovering uh, in my, my professional work, violations of scientific research integrity, but also in my political career, I have been active in uncovering uh, violations of the public trust uh, by elected officials. So I'll just mention one last thing, which is that I have not only uh, experience, but I'm also uh, the individual who's working very hard to earn people's votes. I have been to all the county fairs, all six county fairs, and I don't just hang out at the booth. I go out and meet everyone uh, I can. I have been door-to-door uh, -door everywhere, every single county, multiple times, places that the people tell me no one has knocked on their door as a candidate in the 40 years that they've lived there. Uh, I often say to people, have you ever had a state Senate candidate, you know, knock on your door before? And the answer is virtually always no. So this is what I believe in. I believe in reaching people as individuals and listening to their concerns. And I'll just finish up with this, that major concerns um, in the more rural counties uh, that I encounter are uh, lack of broadband internet, public education, uh, poor cell phone service, poor roads. Um, and I can tell you, since I am a very big advocate of public education and believe that public funds for public education should go to public education, uh, I'll just share with you something that I've heard multiple times when I'm going door to door and meeting people. During the pandemic, students in these counties would have to sit in their parents' cars, mm -hmm. in the parking mm -hmm. lots of fire departments mm -hmm. in order to have access to Wi-Fi so they could do their homework. This is inequitable, this, and this is not the sort of thing that bodes well for the future of the state of India. Oh my goodness. So I'll just finish up oh that. my goodness. You hit on so many things. First and foremost, oh my gosh. I would have loved to have seen you in the state house when they were debating the governor's emergency order for masking and shutting things down because you're an actual dang scientist. You know, you got a bunch of people who have no clue what science is, what's it about, you know, because they let, you know, their religion guides them. And that's fine. But science has to play up. Oh, I wish you had been in the state house. And something else that you said, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm keen on, you said integrity. And, and it's not just in words, it's how you, you have been a monitor and, and monitoring, you know, bodies to make sure that they are, are, they pose some integrity. Sir, when you get to that state house, how are you going to be able to infuse your thoughtful science 
and integrity into that state house. Well, thank you. First thing I just I should mention that I actually teach the COVID class at the university. <laughs> and I, I'm going to be teaching it for the third year this fall. It not only covers viruses and immunology, but also history, sociology, economics, and, and politics. And I'm, I'm very proud of, of that class. So the first thing is that I'm not a quiet person. I guess you could probably already tell that. And uh, so any sort of issue, whether we're talking about energy choices or health choices, vaccination, uh, I will be talking about the actual facts uh, and it, I, I don't have access to this. And it turns out, it, I don't actually know everything, but I always know the people who do have the answers. If there, there are certain things that I don't know, I can co co contact colleagues or people at other institutions. I will have the facts and the numbers at my disposal, and I won't be shy uh, sharing them. I love it. I love in it. Terms, in terms of integrity, I mean, I will be pushing for more aggressive rules about how we relate to lobbyists, um, how we have restrictions on, uh, you know, restrictions on the relationships between uh, elected officials, administrative officials, and, um, you know, businesses and, and corporations. I do think that the revolving door that goes between uh, legislatures and the administration and, uh, you know, industry and, and corporations, that needs to be stopped. We must have, we really have to push for much more uh, regular, rigorous re regulations. We are behind the times uh, in Indiana, as it happens, and that'll be a priority for me as well. I love it. All right, Chris, tell the people who you are and where you come from. My name is Chris Coyle. I'm a native of Southern Indiana. I reside in Clark County, Indiana, which is the Louisville metro uh, area. We're uh, just across the big creek there from Louisville. And I come to this uh, initially from my first career. Uh, I was in public safety. I was a first responder. I was a paramedic. I worked for uh, various services around the state of Indiana, the last one being in Indianapolis. And after uh, a line of duty injury. I couldn't do that anymore. I went back to school. I guess I went, I graduated from IU Southeast. I graduated from George Washington University. And now I'm a political science professor at uh, three universities here in Southern Indiana and, and, and uh, the Louisville area. And I'm running for this office because we have to protect our elections. Elections are how citizens hold their elected officials accountable. If our elections are allowed to be taken over by conspiracy theorists, if we continue to disenfranchise people, if we continue to suppress votes uh, and make it much more difficult for people to vote, the, the citizens can't hold their elected officials accountable. And the elected officials that don't want people to vote um, don't have the courage to face the voters. They know they're not doing right. If you did a good job, as an elected official, if you did right by the people, you wouldn't have anything to worry about at election time. So, and that's what I teach in political science. My specialty is can political campaigns and elections. Um, I've been doing that since 2015, 
And I feel very strongly about uh, protecting our election process, uh, protecting the right of the citizens to vote. And I wanna see us continue to innovate, to continue to provide more options to voters at uh, when they go to vote. And that's what I intend to work on. You know, I, I, I love it. You know, I often, when I get a chance to talk to county clerk candidates, I, I wonder, you know, when you heard about all of the shenanigans with people trying to rush um, vote centers and, and when people were counting and you heard the orange menace say, find me votes, you know, election integrity, we, we, already, we already know that we are not having widespread fraud. What, did, what was going through your mind when you were watching and hearing all of this nonsense? One, it's fed by a conspiracy theorist, and conspiracy theorists and their conspiracies are inherently predatory. They prey upon people's ignorance, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, a lot of people in the public simply do not know how our elections function. Elections are extraordinarily complex. You're dealing with federal, state, and local law because they all have jurisdiction. You're dealing, you know, you're dealing with a lot of federalism issues. The, you have concurrent power, both the state and the national government exercising power in elections. In Indiana, because local uh, officials and local governments have control, you've really got 92 little different election systems going on yeah. county to county. That makes it extraordinarily difficult for the average citizen to understand. And one of the things they fundamentally don't understand is elections are done in a bipartisan fashion. In Clark County, we're about 125,000 people. We're approaching 100,000 registered voters. I'm also the Democratic chairman here. I appoint a few hundred Democrats to work in the polls to oversee the elections. My Republican counterpart appoints the same number of people to pull off election fraud just in Clark County. There would have to be five to 600 people in on it that's you're not going to commit fraud at some point you're going to get caught there is bipartisan oversight from the precinct level to the county level to the state level at what point could you possibly commit fraud and not get caught both parties would have to be in on it and republicans and democrats can't agree on the color of the sky right now so that's that's what i that's what i try to impress upon people um elections are secure we have we have secure, uh, Clark County just finished up an election audit from V-Stop out, uh, out of Ball State, and our accounts were dead on mm. with a high degree of confidence in the results of our elections. Clark County didn't need to do that, but our clerk, our current Democratic clerk, Susan Pop, who has done an excellent, jo an excellent job there, uh, volunteered to do that, to give people confidence in our elections and our elections pass with flying colors. I think that's fantastic. And I think, you know what, this is interesting. I didn't realize and recognize that both of you were professors until we started talking to, to not today. And it's probably why I have like some extra uh, electric, electrical pulses going through my brain because y'all know how to tap into people's brains. But, you know, you mentioned something and I want, uh, David, you can chime in on this as well. You know, we, we talk about um, conspiracies, uh, you know, Chris, you're talking about um, election conspiracy. And David, we had a whole bunch of COVID conspiracies. As educators, as post-secondary educators, what are you, tell us what you're seeing with our young folks. Are they buying into this nonsense? 
I would say from the people who take my COVID class, uh, it's a select group. They're obviously interested in, in COVID primarily. There is not a lot of buy-in to the, um, to the uh, conspiracy theories. I mean, I hear about them from people. People sometimes uh, write to me uh, about them and I meet, I meet people who ask me uh, about the, you know, this, that, or the other uh, conspiracy theory. The students that I have, fortunately, um, you know, very proud of them. And each year, I actually have one of the students make a presentation about COVID conspiracy theories. So in my, uh, just my focus in the class is trying to train students, not just to uh, fill in uh, brown ovals with number two pencils, I don't ever do uh, multiple choice and so on, but to do presentations and to write papers. And one of the topics each year is about COVID uh, conspiracy theories. I've actually sped, uh, spent uh, a bit of time in social media and also through the regular media trying to defeat these, uh, these conspiracy theories. And what I find is that there are some people that you cannot reach, but there are people who honestly are just trying to find out and they can be persuaded when presented with the uh with the facts so and i think it's important to do it i think it's important not to give up and to just let those conspiracy theories uh, be unopposed um but it's also you know it's also important to realize the limits that of you know what you can achieve because uh, there are some people that you're not going to be able to influence uh, successfully, but it's worth it's worth striving um, as much as you can to get the truth out there. What about you, Chris? With my students, what I see, I'm fortunate enough to teach uh, some of our Intro to American Politics classes. So I get I'm getting freshmen that come in. I also teach some dual credit classes. So I'm actually working with high school seniors. They come into the class having heard or absorbed a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation, and I think that's important to recognize that there are people and entities out there, both in the United States and abroad, especially with Russia, that they have malicious intent in, in pumping our people full of disinformation about our elections. So I do see students that come in that have questions about how things work, but once they get into the class, once they see from me and from various sources that we present in the class, how our government works, how our elections work, once they're exposed to it, the conspiracy theories go right out the window because they are baseless. And that, and students quickly realize how ridiculous that they are. Oh my gosh, you, you know what? Indiana's on Dana Black, turn left. Uh, you guys are already got me like on a on a, a mental happy dance right now. And if you guys like what these fellas are talking about, I've put their donation links right there in the chat so you can, you know, donate to them. Um, please share their information if you like. I'm telling you, these guys are the kind of people we want to get elected. So you both are in, in teaching and there is a lot that goes into uh, educating the masses uh, of the, the political process. Um, not just from a voting standpoint, but how policies are written. When you're talking to constituents, because I'm telling you, I'm, I'm all into y'all's education, you know, where y'all at, professor. Because, <laughs> uh, you, you, you know, people don't understand how, how legislation gets through the Senate and then over to the House before it gets to the governor's desk to sign. People don't understand the voting process. Um, I'll start with you again, David. 
when you're talking to your constituents um, and they don't always understand what is your what is your best method that you think there is to like share the the uh, the education process of how legislation is signed into law? Sure. So most of the people I encounter um, are vaguely familiar, but not not strongly familiar. So uh, it's mostly a matter of them asking, OK, what are you running for? How does it work? And then I explain, you know, about the nature of the chambers, the fact that uh, there are 50, you know, senators um, and that you have, two, you know, two chambers. I'm not running for uh, United States Senate. I'm focused specifically on the issues of um, of Indiana, not, you know, not the national issues. And so, they, I mean, it doesn't tend to come up when I'm dealing with uh, the people that I meet door to door, exactly how is legislation written uh, and so on. I try to explain my approach to, uh, to government and what I wish to achieve through the legislative process. Uh, they don't tend to ask so much. In my, uh, I mean, in my classroom, I try to not voice my own opinions on political, um, you know, on, on political issues mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. I, I, I stay away from that. And the students are perfectly free to, to do that. But you don't tend to get that. Now, I have been to classrooms uh, as, a, as a city councilor. Um, I have been to, to counselors, uh, to, to classrooms to try to describe what it is we do as a city councilor, how legislation is created, what's the difference between an ordinance and a resolution, what are the sorts of issues uh, that we deal with. That, for example, people are often confused by the fact that Indiana, we do not control the school boards. Right? The school board has a separate allocation of funds and they, they control their own matters. That's not universally true in the United States. Other states, it's, it, it's different. Um, there, is that, there is some sort of control, even though there are school boards, but there's also control of, for example, finances mm -hmm. by... Uh, mm -hmm. So I try to explain all that. Oh. I haven't had the opportunity uh, to explain so much about the state legislature. I anticipate and I look forward to those sorts of opportunities in the fall when the schools... Uh, when the schools open up. I'm certainly open to invitations and I've always uh, taken them in the past when I've been a, uh, a candidate. I actually posted something on my uh, Facebook and Twitter uh, recently about uh, some, I, somebody pointed to me to a, um, something that someone had written on Reddit, I believe, uh, about a past campaign contrasting uh, my approach to the uh, students in the room, you know, respectful, explanatory, uh, open, and so on with, with my opponent. So uh, that's, but that's, it, it, does, it just doesn't arise that often uh, in my encounters with voters that they, they want to understand, uh, you know, how the legislative process works. Chris, I know sometimes you have to have answer those how to vote questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I'm trying to tell people in general is to learn more about what your elected officials can do and what they cannot do. I'm running for a county position. As county clerk, when dealing with elections, my job is to largely execute election mm -hmm. law, not make it. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, my opponent certainly has overpromised a lot of things uh, as far as what he can do and what he can't do as, a, as clerk. I don't think he fundamentally understands the job, but 
regardless of whether or not I agree with the law, as a county clerk, I would be obliged to execute that law uh, because you have to be a professional in these positions. You're there to serve the public. You're there to obey the law. But if people want to, you know, change election law, they want more parties on the ballot. They want ballot access to be easier. They want to expand, uh, you know, voting options. That all has to be done from the legislature. Mm -hmm. And that's important for people to understand that they have to work with the right level of government. So far as actually making those things happen, that's one of the things I teach. Uh, my, one of my specialties is in advocacy politics. And one of the things I, I try to impress upon people, whether I'm working with candidates, independent groups, or students, is don't underestimate the value of citizens, citizen lobbying. You don't have to be a you don't have to be a hundred thousand dollar a year paid lobbyist to lobby and be effective. Meet with your legislatures legislators one on one. Schedule meetings with them, whether they're at the state house or they're in their district. Meet them personally. It's much easier psychologically for a legislator to dismiss a crowd because they don't have any personal connection with the crowd. If they're meeting and talking with people one on one it's harder to forget you. It's harder to forget the points that you make, and it's harder to dismiss a personal connection. Whether they are agreeing with you or not, it's harder to brush you off that way. So don't underestimate the power of one-on-one -on -one lobbying with your lawmakers. I love it. You know, intelligent conversation I love having, but I got to get to y'all's campaigns. Oh my goodness, I could just rap with y'all all day. I'm gonna switch it up. Chris, you know, every every candidate has at least three items that they highlight on their campaign trail. Share with us your vision of, of, of uh, the issues that you're running for and the three issues that you are talking about when you go to knock on doors. I'm highlighting that in the clerk's office especially, we need qualified, professional, common sense public service. I've got a 25-year history of public service, starting with public safety and continuing right through until now. I'm qualified for this job. I have educational background in elections. I teach elections. I fundamentally understand how elections work. And when, when it comes to administering elections from the county clerk's office, I will be in the best, the best position to not only try to provide more options and ease of vote and modernization and innovation with voting in Clark County, I'll, I will be free to advocate for changes to a law, to the election statutes that I'm enforcing. I can speak up from that office to say, we need this at the local level to help citizens vote. But that elections are not the only thing that the county clerk does. The county clerk uh, is, works with the courts. Uh, the county clerk is in charge of record keeping, uh, legal record keeping for the county. It's an enormous job. Mm -hmm. I am a certified paralegal. I am currently a deputy clerk for Clark County, working on the court side, working with uh, pro se filings and, and working with the courts and working with people who are without an attorney and filing cases on their own. It's an enormous part of the job. It's enormously complex. It's not something that somebody can simply walk into mm -hmm. having not known anything. I didn't intend to take this position as a deputy clerk initially, but it came, the opportunity came up in June and um, I actually decided to take a pay cut in order to better learn this position so I don't come in uh, having not, not known the position at all on the court and the records side and I mean, just in everybody's way for six months. Uh, I feel it's very important 
to have knowledge and experience there, and I'm trying, and I'm currently gaining that with this job. One of my priorities, um, you know, it doesn't, it's probably not something that comes to mind when most people think about the county clerk, but our county, um, the county records, our earliest records date to the early 1800s, between 1810 and 1820. Uh, we have an entire storage facility full of these old records, and none of them are digitally preserved. So it is my, one of my priorities is to protect our history and grant fund an archivist and the equipment to digitally preserve all of these documents going back well more than 100 years so we can save Clark County's history. I love it. And you know what? The, uh, the Marion County Recorder's Office kind of went through the same thing when I was still working in the I IT department for the city. And that is no easy task, right? That is no no easy task, but it's something that needs to be done because, again, those records are, just, are not going to, you know, the records are actually biodegradable. <laughs> They're going to break down. And we got to have, I love that you're, you're forward thinking. Technology is hard. So I, I assume that you know that, you know, when you go through the budget process, have you already outlined, have you like started massaging, you know, those uh, county council folk to, to give you the money so that you can do something like this? Because you got to talk... You gotta, gotta get that. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, our uh, county council has turned down this position uh, when our current clerk asked for it. But I have some personal connections who are historians who uh, I've talked to within the last month who have said that it's possible to grant fund this. Oh, so the county council and the county commissioner's decision is easier because it's not their local funding. So. Yeah, I'm not I'm not at all surprised that some of those uh, 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 county council folks don't understand the importance of technology and preserving history. You know, uh, not not just the history. That, that way they can just tell whatever story they want to tell. Oh, you know how that go. <laughs> David, <laughs> tell the people about your campaign. What are, what are the three things that you really focused in on? Sure. So the first is that I'm focusing on those issues that are going to make a difference in people's actual lives. And if you look at the, the district, it really has sort of two parts. One is West Lafayette, which is where I live, um, where Purdue University is. And then there are, and it has its, its issues, and then there are those of the rural counties. And those rural counties, um, faced a number of challenges. They have uh, demographic challenges in the sense that uh, populations are either static or decreasing. Uh, they have aging populations. They have trouble uh, with uh, public education, uh, consolidation. And of course, uh, what I try to emphasize is that the more there's a diversion of public education funds to not public education, it is their schools that are going to suffer. And so I really, I, I focus on trying to have them understand that in order for there to be a future for their community, future for the community in two senses. One is an economic future, but the second is if they want uh, their children to, for example, go somewhere else for their education, but then return to the community so that they can build it up, they need to have the infrastructure. They need to have good public schools. They need to have proper roads. They need to have proper um, access to broadband internet. They need to have proper uh, cell phone service and, and they need choices in these services. They can't just be restricted to one particular uh, provider. And that in the past, these counties really haven't received the services from the state that they deserve 
And I don't feel that the people who have represented them uh, in the past have really fought uh, for them to make sure that they are included uh, in these, uh, you know, in, with these services. So that's something that I emphasize uh, quite a bit. I also discuss uh, my service as uh, West Lafayette uh, City Councilor. Again, I have fought against intrusion into privacy uh, by government. I have um, tried and focused on how money is spent and trying to make sure that it's spent for um, you know, positive developments. I've been a very big supporter of uh, bicycle, uh, bicycle safety, bicycle uh, trails, uh, other you know, uh, hiking trails, walking trails, things like that. People know me uh, for that. I've also worked to try to make sure that West Lafayette uh, continues to be a welcoming community for um, a diverse population. That's something that I'm uh, I known for, so I discuss that uh, when I go out. But finally, the most important message that I'm trying to convey is that I actually care. I'm not going to be um, just relying upon, well, let's just say it, uh, the Koch brothers and uh, forces that don't believe in public education uh, to finance my campaign. Um, and I am I'm focused on though I'm focused on showing the people of the district that I'm a human being and that uh, they can, you know, meet me one on one and tell me whatever they want and you know share with me and that they will continue to be able to do that. Um, as a city councilor, uh, I answer every single email that I receive, unless it's, of course, some sort of bulk, you know, uh, astroturf email. Um, and I, no matter how angry it is, I respond to every single one of them. I will always contact the people in the administration who are responsible for that particular issue, and I will persist until I get an answer to the question. I also have monthly meet your counselor meetings uh, with my constituents. And that is what I'm going to continue to do. I tell the pe these people that they're going to see me so often, they're probably gonna get sick of me because I'm just going to be there all the time in order to um, convey, you know, to really fulfill my ideas of what responsive government is all about. I love it. And you know, you, you mentioned something and as educators, feel free to chime in on this, uh, Chris, as well. I, I've always wondered why um, people who are living in rural communities and they are funneling public funds out of public schools when rural communities don't have school choice. How, I, can y'all help me understand or make that make sense to me? I can't make it make sense to you. I can assure you that that um, they they don't have the they don't have the choices. And when you discuss it with people, people do recognize the value of public education and how they don't really have those those choices. I don't think that they fully understand the you know what's happening in terms of the economics here that we are diverting money from the rural public schools to private entities. I, I, that connection um, hasn't been made by their current. 
Well, of course uh, not. Of course not. I mean, <laughs> they honestly were literally just trying to target, you know, brown and black communities. Come on, let's be real, right? But the 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 unintended consequences, Chris, are are rural count community schools. They don't they don't have fourteen charter schools. Absolutely, absolutely. I ran for I, I ran for state legislature in two thousand fourteen. Uh, in my at where I'm from over in Perry County, Indiana, the Tell City area, uh, the state, the incumbent representative was highly funded by charter school and voucher interest, not a damn charter school in that district, but the charter school money came in against me, certainly to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars, but that's not what they advertised with. They advertised largely cultural issues um you know kind of a red meat for a, a socially conservative base so the money flowing out of those public schools in rural areas and let's be honest in a lot of places in southern indiana these schools are the center of the community because some places are so rural there's no real you know population center there you know you think about crawford county you think about northern perry county you think about harrison county uh you know they're in south central indiana uh the schools are the center of the community, but the campaign money that comes in and the advertisement and the message that is sent uh, harps on uh, divisive social issues and frankly distracts the public. Uh, we need a concerted effort uh, and message to highlight uh, the destructive nature of the education policies in Indiana, how it's devastating rural areas rural areas struggle anyway because you know they're losing population they're losing economic investment uh jobs and factories and and, and all kinds of employers go where the workers are and you know for you know more than 50 years in this country it's been in the urban areas and the suburbs so there's a constant pull and drain on the rural areas if the rural areas lose their quality schools and we've lost many quality schools in Southern Indiana already in rural districts, A-rated schools, A-rated with the, with the rating system that Mitch Daniels and his people came up with. A-rated schools in Southern Indiana, rural schools were closed down and torn down. They're, they're physically gone. Oh my and God. It's, See, it's and very, it's, it's just sad. And, and, and I don't like to think that people are this malicious but it's it's almost like these legislators, one, they don't care because they're getting they pop they pockets lined, but they are intentionally undereducating us so that they the, you know we don't demand for higher wage jobs, but then we don't attract higher wage employers. And it's almost, I mean, it's literally counterproductive to moving Indiana forward. Forget the social issues, right? Because they don't want they don't want to talk about Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ plus issues or protecting trans kids. Let's not talk about those. Let's just talk about the economics of it all and whether or not we have uh, enough counties to have a sufficient enough tax base, right, to take care of themselves and and businesses bringing that money in. And I don't understand the disconnect. And y'all, the teachers, I'm just asking the. I'm gonna be like. That fool on Fox. I'm just asking the question. How, where is the disconnect? Let me tell you, one of the reasons uh, people are surprised that I'm a Democrat, because I did work in public safety and, you know, you expect people coming out of public safety to be Republicans. And I tell them one of the reasons that I'm a remain a strong Democrat is what the state legislature under this supermajority has done to local governments. Uh, 
every, you know, they continue to take options away mm -hmm. for the local governments to fund anything. Schools, mm -hmm. police, fire, EMS. Yep. You know, one of the problems with rural communities is they don't have enough public safety. Uh, that's tremendously underfunded. They don't have any options for adding more police, fire, and EMS because the legislature won't give them the options. And the legislature will not pass down state funds you know, they've got six, a $6 billion surplus. Maybe, you know, that could be put, you know, we've got fire departments trying to operate on $30,000 a year, you know, funding volunteers, people taking time off their job and sacrificing their pay to be a volunteer firefighter. Um, and because if they don't, their community won't have fire protection. That's the state of Indiana right now, that's what the state legislature and the super Republican supermajority has created. And see, David, the president of of the Senate, the person that preside, presides over the Senate, the lieutenant governor, that was like her first plan was to get high-speed internet in rural Indiana. It ain't happening. And it's, where's the disconnect between, and where are these business leaders? You are at Purdue. You're at an engineering school. You're in a technology hub of, a, you enroll, y'all enrolls Holman, right? What, what are yes. you hearing? I mean, you got these, you are dealing with the scientists and the engineers and all the tech people of the future, you know, industries. What are they saying? What are they begging for? So I, this is part of the inequities that are present in our system. Uh, we, West Lafayette, Tippecanoe County, is, does have, um, you know, a high quality uh, education system. It's, it's, it, we have an embarrassment of riches in our schools and it, it's unfair it's unfair but we also not only that we also get state funding for bringing jobs to our area in a way that the rural counties do not so um our engineers uh the our area is seen as a very high attract highly attractive place for businesses to to locate so west lafayette is actually benefiting in many ways from the current system and despite the fact that I live in West Lafayette, I can see that these that these inequities are really contributing to uh, the destruction of our of our, our rural areas. And we need to have, and I believe my district deserves a uh, senator who is who can recognize these and can see how we can solve these uh, solve these sorts of problems. We need to have a better distribution of resources from the state government to these areas. But I can assure you that my colleagues are very concerned about the state of mm -hmm. education, mm -hmm. public education, you know, around the state, not just in our own area, but uh, throughout the state. And they're very concerned about what's happened in terms of the diversion of money uh, from our public education system. It's not for the good, it's not for the benefit, the long-term benefit uh, of the state of Indiana. And we will continue uh, to have problems, you know, recruiting people to come here if we don't have that sort of investment. Well, and you know, we and already I see education as an investment, yes. not as an expense. 
but an investment uh, in the future. Well, we already, we've all seen the statistics that, you know, yes, central Indiana is growing and maybe West Lafayette is growing, but we're not attracting people from other states. We're actually just, you know, stealing people from some of our smaller counties. And so again, that, those tax bases, that tax revenue uh, is dwindling. And we have most of these, majority of those counties, those rural counties are welfare counties and they get their money from, oh my God, Marion County. Oh my God, the worst place in the state, Indianapolis. Oh my God, they can't stand this. And oh, by the way, we can thank your chancellor for the current uh, state of uh, public education in Indiana. But you ain't got to say none of that. You ain't got to say none. I don't want to risk you. All right, y'all, we have actually come to the end of the show. This was a riveting conversation. I could talk to y'all uh, all night. Um, you guys are really, really brilliant and engaging, and you know how to explain exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it in ways that is, I mean, I, I was just sucked in. So I thank you. So, uh, David, tell the people where they can find you. Sure. So my website is davidsandersforindiana.com. Before is like the preposition. Um, so wait, wait, find... hold up. <laughs> so you act like everybody know what a preposition is, but I just had to say that. I just had to say <laughs> it's not the number. It's not the number. Just I wasn't being cute. It was David Sanders for Indiana.com. Uh through Act Blue. Uh you can just if you search for David Sanders, I'll be the one that, that comes up. I have a Facebook page, David Sanders for Indiana State Senate. Uh, we also have an Instagram uh account uh which is similar. So you can contact most uh, multiple ways. I do want to emphasize that uh my team is working extremely hard, but we still do need the money in order to counter, um, you know, my my opponents. That's that's his one advantage, um, and so it's extremely important that people uh, step up and help, and help us out. We have had some very nice uh, support, but we we certainly encourage people to to continue that. It's very important. And do you have any events coming up soon? Uh, we just had a, uh, actually a fundraiser. Of uh, this past Sunday, um, events. I mean, I'm traveling to all of the every single fair festival. I'm going to be at the Otterbin um, and the Otterbin Festival. Uh, you know, next uh, next weekend. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm going to be at uh, something on, uh, in West Lafayette honoring our first responders this coming Sunday. Uh, which is at um, it's noon right near uh, where the, the 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 civic center is the post post office and uh, so on it'll be near there, um, but you, I will tell the people if you're if you happen to be in the district 23, you will be meeting me in the course of this campaign. Uh, if if you haven't met me, you just haven't been home. Uh, when I've knocked on your door, I'm going. I am going to be knocking on your door. You're going to have the opportunity. To I like that promise. That's the best promise a candidate can make. Chris, tell the people where they can find you. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Coil for Clerk. I'm on Instagram, Coil for Clerk. I'm on Twitter twice at Coils Politics, C O Y L E S Politics. That's my personal one, and at Coil for Clerk. I love it. Do you have any events coming up? I do. I'm going to I'm going to plug a community event that we're going to have here in Jeffersonville next weekend, uh, the fourth and fifth. We've got Claysburg Days in Jeffersonville. I'll be out there 
with the, the booth and have all kinds of swag and coil for clerk stuff to hand out. Big event for our African-American community here in Jeffersonville. If you're in Southern Indiana next weekend, look it up on Facebook. Feel free to stop by. I know they'd love to have you. I'd love to see everybody. Thank you again for having me on. Oh my God, you guys, I'm gonna tell you something. My, I'm telling you that the energy right now is high because you guys are bringing the funk in, in a very intellectual, but down home and friendly way, the Hoosier way, smart Hoosiers. You know, the rest of the country believes that we're all a dumbasses like Todd Rakita, but we're not, we're not, we're intelligent people. There, there's lots of us here, you know, but unfortunately the dumb, oh, did I say a bad word? I did, unfortunately the, 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 Squeaky wheels get the grease and not the right squeaky wheels. So thank y'all so much. Um, guys, you know, I love chatting it up and talking about um, political and partisan things. But you guys know, for the past several years, I have been on the board of Trinity Haven. Trinity Haven is the state's only LGBTQ plus uh, residency, short-term, long-term residency for our LGBTQ plus youth who are at risk of homelessness. We have two programs. We have the one program where they come and stay in the home that we have. And then we have a host homes program where people in Marion County, it's only Marion County residents. Um, if you have a little space in your home where you can open up and, and, and bring in someone who uh, is at risk of homelessness, there's an opportunity for you to do that. But say you just like to party. I mean, say you just like to have a good time. We are having our bash in a couple of weeks. So make sure you go scroll down on my Facebook page, Purchase some tickets, get your friends, come hang out with us. This really is a worthy organization, and we really we have residents, and we're doing great things to get these young people who have been turned away from their, their families, they've been turned away, and we are offering them a future. And that's what your money goes to, is, is, is these programs and offering them solutions to problems they didn't anticipate having at 16, 17, and 18 years old. And when we know that our state legislator is gonna force women to have births who can't actually travel outside of the state to take care of their reproductive health, we're gonna have an increase of people in the foster care system. We're gonna have an increase of, of unwanted children and teenagers around our state because see, they don't think about that stuff, right? They don't, cause they don't care. They don't wanna give any money. Don't let me get on that rant again, oh my God. But if y'all can, Go ahead and, and get a ticket, get a table, come hang out with us at Trinity Haven on August the 27th. It'll be an amazing event. You'll have a good time. It's our second annual homecoming bash. Please, please, please consider donating. Go to Trinity Haven website, donate to the organization. You guys know that is my, you know, my nonpartisan love, my, you know, 501c3 love. 501c, what, 50, I said it right, didn't I? 501c. C3, yeah, that's that that love yes. where we make sure that we um, take care because to whom much is given, much is expected. And I know I have had an extraordinary life. It's not always been easy, but it's been mine. And I've enjoyed it. I'm enjoying every minute of it. And I had parents that loved me, nurtured me, and I can't even imagine. My mother would have never done nothing like that. Not even my daddy, as hard as he was. There's no way they would have tossed me out of the house. They love me. And I actually wrecked a car at 16. Shh, I did. But y'all, please get some tickets. Thank y'all so much for joining us. Find out where these candidates are, donate to their campaign, click their act blue links, support them. These, this is the type of intelligence that we require in our state houses and in our county clerks. Have a good night, enjoy the rest of your evening. I'll holla at y'all next week. Peace.
Turn Left is the property of Black Pearl IT Solutions. Executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.binsound.com.